God, we thank you for this awesome opportunity this morning to gather together with a bunch of believers and some who have journeyed with you for many years, some who have only just started that journey. And wherever we're at with you, Lord, this morning, we we ask that the parable of the seed of your word going forth and falling on hearts, Lord, we want to ask that you'd really help prepare our hearts to be good soil this morning. We don't want the enemy to steal anything that your word wants to produce in our life. We don't want the worries and the cares and the frustrations of this world to choke the seed. And we don't want, Father, any um, anything, any precepts to come in the way of Jesus being exalted. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning and ask that you prepare, prepare our hearts and prepare us for your word, that it may produce the kind of fruit that um, will glorify, we'll glorify you. Amen. I was a blubbering mess. No, not really. I didn't cry, but I was very impacted last night by a movie called um, Saving Mr. Banks. Just by a show of hands, who's seen that movie? Holy moly. I can actually recommend a movie from Hollywood. Yeah, it was phenomenal, wasn't it? And, um, oh, Peter, brother, as... Uh, having a newborn girl, man, like I have three girls, you got girls, man, it, oh, just an absolute full-on movie and to me, I walked away with the mixed emotions but um, I, I felt really impressed that um, we need to be incredibly purposeful in the way that we raise our children, incredibly purposeful and it is such an honour and a blessing to raise people, young people in the Lord and the things you do can have such a massive psychological print <laughs> on on people and on your children and um, yeah, I, I was feeling the weight of that um, last night. I was feeling the weight that man, I've been given this purpose, this responsibility under heaven to raise three amazing young girls in the way of the Lord and I just wanted to wake them all up and cuddle them. <laughs> That's you. But you're on a bunk bed so it's pretty hard to get up there for daddy because I won't, I won't go on about how I'm old, okay? I'm learning from that. I'm not old, all right? Um, but purposeful living, living with purpose. We we can say, you know what, um, uh, my purpose might be to live and raise my children and make sure that they're okay. But I'm even realising there's limitations in that because I can't always be there for my children. I can't always do for them what I wish I could do for them. And I slowly realise that I fall short of that purpose. Sidney Pollock is a movie director and um, among other things, made some great movies. And he was talking, he had an interview um, a couple of months before he died where he shared that he kept doing movies and his health was deteriorating so much, but he couldn't stop doing movies because he felt like it justified a few more years of his existence. It gave him more purpose for living. But the problem was he had to keep doing more films so he felt like he could live for longer. So purpose is is a great thing and you want to be living for purpose but all other purposes seem to somehow you either fall short in idolatry 
like, like for your family even, if your family is your purpose. Or if you're living for your talent, you, you realise the more and more you do, the more and more you want to do. But I realise that if you're living for anything other than Jesus, those are the feelings you're going to feel. You're going to feel like I let people down. You're going to feel like I've got to keep purposefully doing things to justify my existence. The only purpose worth living for is Jesus. Because when we know Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, I want to live for you. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done wrong that have offended you and have hurt you. And I pray you'd empower me to live the way that you want me to live. When you say those things to God with a sincere heart, you receive what's called justification. You have received your purpose in life. You don't have to work any further to obtain some sort of sense of purpose. You don't have to do things for family and other things that you feel like you keep falling short of. You instantly receive Christ's righteousness and his justification. So you have a purpose for living and you can feel good because Jesus, you've got him. You've got him. And so in the light of the the remarkable work of Jesus in your life, You've already received your purpose. So what are you meant to do now? Great question. You know I've been um, encountering Peter in my own journaling life um, and looking at the meta-narrative of Peter's life and how Jesus discipled Peter. He invited him to come and see. Come and see what Jesus was all about. Come and hear. Stay where he was staying. Sleep where he was sleeping. Come and hear. him. And then he also challenged him in his discipling relationship. He called him Satan. Remember that? He said, you're going to deny me three times. No, Jesus, I'll never do that. And then Jesus restores Peter. He also had this plan and this journey for him where he wasn't just friends with Jesus. He started to become more than just a friend. He became a follower of Jesus. And then as he followed Jesus more, he started to realise his trade wasn't in fishing for men anymore. His trade was the family trade, building the kingdom of God, building the church that the gates of hell will not overcome. And he started using those terms like, where you all are living stones built on the cornerstone in First Peter. Beautiful passage. Love it. He adopted the family business. And Peter, um, therefore, we can only go where dead people can go. I love that lay me down song. Man, journeying with Christ, the more you think, okay, I'm going to follow you and you want me to preach, you want me to lead because they're the natural gifts you've given me. But the further you go into God, you realise, you know what? Those gifts you give me are yours anyway. If you want me to use them, fine. If you want me to stand on the door and welcome people in the morning, that's fine. As long as I'm about the family business. Just extending the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm not having any rules on when you can use me and when you can't use me. I'm just surrendering it all. I'm part of the family. And whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do it with joy. And oh, that chorus, it will be my joy to say your will. Your... You can only do that when you're dead and you're justified by faith in Jesus and you go, Jesus, whatever you want, whatever you want. I realized Peter had come to this point where <clears throat> he'd, he'd been gospelly resurrected. He'd been said, 
you know, feed my sheep. And he goes, okay, do you love me? Yeah, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep three times, restoring him from the three denials. He'd been resurrected. He'd had the gospel outplayed in his life. And then he's been commissioned. And I'm going to go to that now. Matthew 28, I mean, lots of people preach from this and you guys have heard it till you're, you're blue in the face, I'm sure. But I can't get away from it. Peter's standing there before Jesus goes. He sees him for the last time in the flesh. And he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, full stop. Jesus has all authority. Remember I preached that last week, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give to you. Jesus, the son of Nazareth. Pick up your mat and walk. He doesn't have anything, but all authority has been given to that name. Hallelujah, what a purpose. Therefore go. And the original language is as you are going. As you go about your day, peripateu, as you walk, you live, as you're going and living, breathing, talking to petrol station people, going to the bakery, wherever you are, as you drive and that person cuts in front of you as you come up the hill in Blackheath and you go, you know that road was running out and you did that anyway, you cheeky mongrel. As you are going, make disciples of all nations. Make them. How did Jesus make them? Well, he said, come, come and see. He challenged them about their walk. Make disciples. You do the same thing that Jesus has done to Peter. You go and disciple people, train them to be friends, train them to follow, train them to be family. Make disciples. Of who? The Jewish nation. Does anybody know that? No, no, it's not just the Jewish nation. All right, slap yourself. We're in this, all right? Make disciples of all nations. So what? The plan of Abraham and the promise of Abraham has come in Jesus? That all nations will be blessed because of Abraham? Absolutely. All nations. Who does that leave out? No one. No one. All nations are meant to be disciples, to follow, to friend, to be family with God, to be challenged, to be invited, to be built up in what it means to follow Christ. We baptise them, hallelujah, and those who are Baptists said, amen. Those who are Christians said, alright, cool, we're not just Baptists, are we? Um, yeah, into a Trinitarian reality. The Trinitarian reality of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit all at work in our lives. That would be a good teaching series. We should do that one. Um, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. See that? All authority has been given to Jesus. He says, go, disciple everyone, baptise them, teach them everything I've taught you. And you know what? When you forget when you feel insecure, when you feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore, don't worry. I'm in your boat. Even though your waters are going crazy, I'm in your boat. And surely I will be with you. What a great 
sending commissioning message. Go make disciples. Go make them. And then, because Jesus is incredibly practical, he said, wait. Wait in Jerusalem for a bit in the upper room and wait till the Holy Spirit comes on you. Because I don't want you thinking it's all about you. You've received your purpose. It's me. I want you to wait. Why wait 50 days? Why, why wait till Pentecost? I'll let you do that one in your own devotional life. And then they receive these tongues of fire as a picture of Pentecost. Yeah, we're speaking about tongues in a Baptist church. It's okay. You're in a comfy chair, so don't worry. No, no moving around the pew. Yeah, tongues. They received tongues and people started coming to faith. And Peter gives the most amazing first sermon of his life. Most amazing first sermon. People have suddenly found their purpose in Jesus. Suddenly, they've been awakened to it. They've had the countenance of God arise in their life and they go, wow, he is Mashiach, he is Messiah. Wow, he's the Christ. Now what? They've received their purpose of existence. What happened next? When the people heard this and they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptised, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's what baptism is. There's a, a washing of sin. It's a symbolism. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you, there's plenty of things you can do without the Holy Spirit. You need to wait and realise your authority is in Christ and he will send you his Spirit. And then, the promise is for you and your children, all nations, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And we've, um, hmm, did I jump too far? No. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So now what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they didn't have Bibles yet. They had their Old Testament scriptures that were read in synagogues. So they went to the synagogue nearly every day to hear the word, to hear the Old Testament and how it's fulfilled in their purpose, Jesus. But they devoted themselves to hearing about Jesus the teachings of Jesus, from the guys who hung out with him. So the apostles were intentionally building into a group of people the teachings of Jesus. They were doing the Great Commission. And they devoted themselves to that. That was their mission, to teach the things that Jesus had taught them. They were doing that with people. How on? Often, every day. And they devoted themselves to fellowship, hanging out, it's good, to the breaking of bread, which we celebrate in communion. And as Church of Christ minister, we had to do that every Sunday to remember the breaking of the bread, Jesus dying and rising again for us. Baptists, we just go once a month in the morning and once a month at night. Uh, I don't even know why we do that. I should probably ask another Baptist minister. But hey, that's what we do. Um, 
But you know what? If you wanted to do it every day, there's, no, there's nothing against it. In your small groups, breaking bread and praying. Everyone was filled with awe at the signs and wonders, the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So they accompanied with miracles, things that made people go, whoa. Segway. Um, I think evangelism is phenomenal. I think it is. And some of the older models we have are of the Billy Graham crusade that came out and he just harvested a whole bunch of amazing godly people. And the influence of his um, ministry still echoes in the church today. And even being a part of the Will Graham crusade we had in Lithgow, you, you can see the guy had an anointing of God for a season, for a time. And and I'm challenged that we might do things like 40 days of purpose and we have something called an Invitation Sunday where we expect people want to come to church and and hear about Jesus and they just don't come. And you kind of go, you have to look at it and go, are we banging our heads against a wall? Is this an old wine skin? Is this something we're trying to force because it used to work and now it's not? Um Look, God can use anything. God can use tracts. He can use whatever. But you've got to kind of go, what's the Spirit of God doing? And what I've seen lately, and I'm just testifying from what I've been seeing, is that evangelism isn't necessarily happening in these massive crusades here in Australia anymore. We don't see them happening. They're not, they're not producing fruit of discipleship. But what we are seeing is some people going, hey, um, do you want to come over to my house for dinner? Do you want to hang out for a bit? And hey, I've been reading in my Bible about how if you choose to forgive this person, then, then God will forgive me. And I'm finding it really hard, but I'm choosing to forgive this person in my life. And I'm finding freedom in that. What do you think about this? Teaching the things of Jesus around your table, in your oikos? in your home group, your fellowship. And people are starting to come to faith. We used to go out with the bullhorns on the street, you know, repent, turn or burn, right? But now we're seeing some people filled up with the love of God going out and going, hey, do you have a sore neck? Can I just pray for your neck? That the love of God would just want to ooze through you and just show you how much he cares about you. They lay hands and they pray and sometimes God is healing people in the street and showing individuals how much he loves them. Not just being preached at with a message but being hands and feet and hugging and loving and seeing some signs and wonders even happen. Not that they have to because we know that you aren't saved by seeing a sign and wonder but wow, what an accompaniment of a loving God in the gospel to to see something that blows your mind. Sometimes you need to get your mind bypassed. I know that sounds really awful and pretty cultish, but I know that sometimes we're so cerebral that we forget we're whole people. And Anyway, that's another sermon. Um, but God tends to be moving in these ways of just practical loving and seeing signs and wonders happen. And in this church, we've seen some. 
I'm blown away. We've seen ankles healed. We've seen backs straightened. We've seen freedom come, haven't we, Mary? I'm just keen to press into it. Let's see what God wants to do. I don't know. It happened for the early church, didn't it? Anyway, they shared everything in common and they sold all their possessions and gave all they had. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke their breads, bread and and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is what was happening after Peter's first sermon. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They broke bread and remembered Christ, their purpose. They prayed. They had fellowship. They saw healings. I'm just going to ask a question and I hope it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. In 2013, did you make a disciple? Did you journey with somebody in your life to a point where they were seeing Jesus, to a point where they wanted to follow Jesus? to find their purpose. Did you do that? Okay, maybe you didn't, maybe you did. Let's say over the last 10 years, can you count on your hand how many people you've invested in the Great Commission in your life? You've selflessly gone and met them when they were crying and pointed them to the loving instruction of Jesus. You've journeyed with them like family. You've broke bread with them. You've fellowshiped with them. You've reminded yourselves of the teachings of Jesus. You've seen them grow in their faith. Over the last 10 years, how many? Now think about it. How many? Now I I don't want to go, hey, this is our purpose because Jesus is our purpose. We've received a mission, a great commission to make disciples of everybody. How are you doing at that? Well, I invited a couple of people to church. Does that actually mean you've made a disciple of them? Or is that an old model of discipleship? I hope you're squirming. I really do. Spirit of God, please. Uh, I wonder. I just wonder. You know what? If you know what? If you've employed this young guy with three girls and a gorgeous wife, she is gorgeous um, and supportive. And you know what? And we ever one Sunday a year we have an invitation Sunday where you maybe by God's grace invite some people into this room and we have a couple hundred people. We have 120 in here, maybe more than what we've got now, 70 or so. And 50 people come to faith by the, by the grace of God that day. And we go, yeah, wow, we've kicked some goals. But we have to talk about the fruit of it and the fruit of something like that is that 
even in generation Y, people are making decisions and not following through with commitment. I hate saying that because I like to think I'm a Y, I'm an X, but they don't follow through on the commitment. They maybe get caught up in it and go, yeah, this would be awesome, thanks for the ticket. I'll use that when I go before Jesus and I die. And Hey, I said this prayer that this guy told me to say on this day. And Jesus goes, I never knew you. But the ticket, but what, mate? I didn't know you. But let's say by God's grace we have 50 a year come to faith. In our morning service last week we had something like 90 people. In our night service, which is rivaling you guys at the moment, we had 74 people at night. So let's just roughly say, you know, 160 people. Let's say for a year we chose, by God's grace, to move the measuring sticks from how many people are in a building, you hearing me, to let's just say 150 people because of the doubling over, 150 people chose for that year to intentionally disciple somebody, to place somebody in their life who didn't know the Lord and they were just going to love on them. But they weren't just going to love on them as an, an evangelical exercise. They were going to invite them to their Christmas Day dinners. They weren't just going to present information. They were going to create a relational bridge. They were going to put themselves out sacrificially because Jesus does. To have a friendship with one person and you invest yourself in that one person for the year and you you just get out of your mind for a second. Oh, you know, who's investing in me? Nobody does. Nobody cares about me. I'm just going to go and eat worms. Look, you've received your purpose. Your purpose is Jesus. You've received everything in Christ, okay? What you do get, wow, awesome. What you don't, you've got in Christ. Okay? I just want to put that one out there. Um, how are you doing at making disciples? If you make disciples, if we have 150 people discipling 150 people, let's say half of them maybe come to faith. We have 225 people the next year, 2015, discipling one person. And let's say half of them come to faith. We have 300 and who's good at maths? 300 and something people. And then we go, hey, let's intentionally disciple again. Can you see that Jesus had a really good model of making disciples? He didn't hold just one-off events and say, hey, you're a believer. He actually intentionally invested in 12 guys. And now the world and all nations are hearing of the gospel. Sometimes I wonder whether we get it wrong with our methods. Don't you? Is there something the Spirit of God wants to breathe on his church and go, I've got the same idea, uh, same theology, but a different praxis for you. What if we made 2014? I'm just chucking this out there. Just let's move the goalposts. Let's not even think about you know, how many people are in this building or inviting people or whatever. Let's just think organically. Could you have enough room in your life to disciple one person this year? Could you? 
You could, couldn't you? But there's about a thousand other things to do. So what about working? I've got to work. And it was tragic in Mr. Banks how working just eroded his life and he was a mess. That gutted me. But then you hear in Mary Poppins, it's just a cage. A bank, a cage in the shape of a bank. Like, sometimes work, work becomes this thing. I've got to do it. I've got to provide money. And it just distracts you from the mission. The mission of the Great Commission. You sometimes have family. And you know what? Your family is a great thing and it's an awesome thing. And you have only one shot at raising some of your kids. And you want to do it right. But can they become an idol? Yeah. They can. That replaces you knowing Christ. And you measuring yourself and justifying yourself. I am what my children are. I'm having a second go at life through my children here. And you can slip into a works-based faith where you don't realize, oh, I love baby dedications. We're going to dedicate Callie. Like, you know, you go, everything is the Lord's and he has entrusted me with this young life. And I'm going to need God's help to do it. I think that's a great way of discipling kids, realising they're the Lord's first. He created them. But our family are good things, but they can sometimes distract from the mission. What's standing in your way of fulfilling the Great Commission? What is it? Can 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 I be deadly honest with you? Find time to disciple somebody intentionally. That's the message today. Find it. Find something in your life where you go, hey, I just want to hang out with you. I just want to build into your life. I want to share with you the teachings of Jesus and how they've influenced me. I want to share about a Trinitarian reality. I want you to know Jesus is here as I'm talking to you and you have an opportunity to respond to him in a relational way. I think this is what the church of God is meant to be. Going back to Acts. I want to encourage you. Get into a small group. Great things. What did these guys do? When 3,000 were added to their number daily, they go, great, we've got to find a building that holds 3,000 people. No, (laughs) they didn't do that, did they? They met in house churches. They got together in oikoses, in families. And they loved each other. And then they went out on the mission. They loved each other daily. They were even selling their own possessions and giving them to each other. Wow. Can we ever get to that place? I don't want to have some sort of weird cultic group. Don't, don't hear that. But I'm like, could we just forsake everything for following Christ? I, I want to challenge you. If you're not in that place and you go, Brad, maybe you're young and idealistic. You're a 34-year-old young guy and you're just preaching something that you don't think really marries in real life. I want to challenge you. I think it does. I think being a part of the Great Commission is the only thing worth doing in this life. Over work, over your family, over anything. Intentionally discipling people to know Christ is what we're missioned for. And I wonder, would you let it all go 
to do that this year? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were sitting here on Australia Day or the day after, whenever it falls on the map, in 2015, and by God's grace, because of building relationships and intentionally building relationships with people, there were just awesome stuff going on all around the place and we couldn't fit in this room. Maybe we had to have a couple more rooms and just be family. Who thinks that would be awesome? But I just want to tell you, I've heard this preached so many times by other great preachers way better than me. I'm not seeing it work on the ground. I'm not seeing it work on the ground yet. I've been to some of the leading guys in England and Mike Breen and chatted with him. I've chatted with some of these Soma guys um, who are in the mountains at the moment who are trying to create house churches. I've seen some of their stuff and I've talked with them. They, They haven't cracked it. They haven't got it yet. Do you want to give it a go? There's plenty of things standing in our way. Plenty of things. It's almost demonic what's standing in our way. It is demonic. It is a spirit of the Antichrist that wants to come against you. Even in your mind right now going, I could, mm, nah, oh, yeah, yeah, uh. that's, that's a wrestle you've got going on. Where you go, well, I believe this, but in my life I'm just not experiencing it. Nobody ever did that for me. And Brad, you just don't understand what my life is like. I want to challenge that. I had the awesome opportunity of meeting up with some great people this week and I'm landing now so that we can go and eat and be Australian. I met up with um, an awesome guy from this church who I believe has been gifted in giving dignity and respect to any person that he meets. And by by God's grace, he worked through some of the guys in this room that we wouldn't even think God could use. But he did. And they invited him to come to church every week. And he surrendered to that and said, all right, guys, I'll come. And he came and he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he's a beautiful man. met up with another man at the Waddle Cafe, my second office, um, and he told me about how he came to visit this church because he saw God was doing something a little bit different amongst us. We have people like Leeton Barr in church. And I said, oh, what does that mean? He goes, look, the guy, he can be a little bit, let's be honest, a little bit socially awkward sometimes. Um, but he sits out the front of Anonymous, talks to every person who goes past and somehow mentions Jesus in every sentence. And I just looked at a guy like that and I thought, wow, you don't look like the Christian that I expected. And where do you fellowship? And he said, Blackheath Baptist Church. And he goes, I might go there, check out what God's doing. We have this amazing ability to disciple and influence people around us. You don't have to be somebody that you're not. You have to be who God's created you to be and... Try your best to disciple people. But there's going to be so much you need to stand against in this world if you're going to be able to do it. You need to be brave. 
I'm going to leave it there. No. Some Aussies, young men, got into a boat, sailed across the oceans, and they ended up at somewhere in the Dardanelles Strait. Some British, British subjects they were, and they'd been asked to enter into a, a world, onto the world stage by capturing for the British um, endeavour this certain strait that would lead them into Europe and would help the, um, the cause of the Queen. So these young men who were in boats from New Zealand as well as Australia entered into what's called Anzac Cove now and they tried to storm a beach for Queen and Country. They went hard and they, they fought some incredible opposition. Now, if you know anything about soldiers and fighting, the Turks, they're up there. They have some of their most elite and amazing soldiers in the world. And they fought back the Aussies. They fought us back. And we were stuck on the beaches for the first three weeks. And then as these young guys losing their mates around them, were trying to take ground and, and move forward. You know, we only got one kilometre in six to eight months for the Queen and Country. But that was day after day, night after night, hearing this voice going, go forward, go forward, you can do this. There's a greater purpose, there's a greater goal here. Can you be a part of it? And they thrusted themselves on the world stage and they created something which is called the Anzac Spirit. It's a beautiful thing that you are prepared to do whatever it takes for the mission to take the beach, to make the way right through Turkey. I wonder whether we could have that same spirit. Oh, that's right. The Spirit of God empowers you to overcome any obstacle. Not the Anzac Spirit, the Spirit of God to push you into waters that are going to be hard but to be able to achieve the mission. Praise God we don't have to do it alone, hey? I'm going to pray that God would fill us. Let's pray. Lord, I even look at the words in your Bible and I look at where we're at and even the state of your global universal church and I sometimes wonder whether we're living it out. Whether these pages contain living words or whether they're just a story or a narrative of history. But God, we... I'm daring to believe that this isn't just a a picture of history, but this is a picture of your story that wants to continually unfold and allow your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven now. And so God, I'm choosing to believe your word that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, that 
You will work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes that no temptation will seize us, you know, but you will help us to find a way out. Lord, that these words are living and active and God, I pray that you would empower us as believers here in Blackheath to to do something radical, to not just say we're Christians and believe something, but to count our lives as nothing compared to knowing you, Jesus, and standing before you and before your throne and saying, God, we did the best of our ability with the mission you gave us, to disciple people around us. God, I want to pray that your spirit inside of us now will fill us afresh for your mission. And Lord, would you release the gifts that this church needs for this time and this season. And God, by your spirit, I pray that you'd even bring to mind right now, or as we prayerfully consider this even more this week, that you'd bring to mind right now the people you want us to invest in. The ones that you want us to invest in. Not the people who I know as an acquaintance that I can invite to something, but people who need you, Jesus. I pray that your spirit would bring them up into our minds that we might be able to faithfully bear fruit in the way that we love them. And so God, I pray that you commission us again this morning. Fill us with your spirit and send us out from this little Christian gathering to make disciples of all nations and baptise them, teach them everything that you taught us to teach them with your presence beside us. Amen.